Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. First pitch is 12.08. The tarp is off the field. They're doing their thing with the pitcher's mound. They're going to play baseball downtown today. Starting to see a little break in the clouds, Randy Wayhofer. Just like you said, that sun might peak out. How about that? Well, that would be a wonderful bonus today. Uh, yeah, we've been watching the radar all morning, and uh, all signs pointed to somewhere between 10.30 and 10.45 to stop raining. I don't know how nice it's going to get. But there's nothing else to watch on the radar in terms of precipitation. So Standing. we're going to start on time, have a bunch of kids here, hopefully. Buses have started pulling up. And, uh, I good... counted seven of them during the break. <laughs> good place to uh, come have lunch today, I think. Indeed it is. You know, uh, Trent and I, uh, we were talking about this in the first hour of the program. I- I've sat in the skyboxes, you know, behind home plate and down the baseline. There's something about being out here. You know, when when you look at out, they're not knocking those, those uh, facilities up there. You've got fans below you. Here you've got the warning track below you. <laughs> got the left fielder below you, the center field. It's a pretty neat place to watch a ball game. Yeah, the outfield suites are a neat vantage point. Uh, you know, and it is kind of a exclusive. There's not the way the ballpark is constructed. Uh, we don't have a chance to just let people wander out here yeah, to see point. what it's like. So you have to uh, kind of take the plunge and, and see it for yourself in, in order to make it happen. We do a lot of off-season events up here, holiday parties, uh, uh, wedding rehearsal dinners and, and receptions and uh, graduation parties. We've got a lot of here coming up in the next couple of weeks when the team goes on the road. So we uh, we try to utilize the Cub Club and this outfield suite space as a, a way to utilize Principal Park for more than, than just baseball. So you nailed the weather. You told us exa- you've watched Radar now for a number of years. You feel like you, you're better than Ned Wilson. You're better than Brad Edwards. You, you got those guys beat? No. Uh, I, I, <laughs> You're pretty good. I'm just trying to keep up with Sam. Uh, <laughs> you want to know a guy who might who might be as good as the weather people for a lot of years. <laughs> after 37 years of watching the radar is here. Is that how long it's been for yeah, him here? He, wow. can, he can tell you, uh, I, this is might be a slight exaggeration, but only slight. I have been in his office when he's on the phone with our groundskeeper saying, you got four minutes uh, before it starts <laughs> raining, and at 3.58, I hear raindrops on the sidewalk outside his <laughs> office before it makes its way onto the field so uh yeah the sam science. sam can sam knows exactly what's going to happen in this square block most of the time uh, not necessarily the metro what uh what goes into rain delays pulling the tarp out all those different things kind of the behind the scenes if you will you know with all the grounds creepers that you have and everybody else out there i mean it's not just yeah i throw the tarp out and we're good right no, I mean, we before the game starts, it's our job as the home team to work with the managers and the umpires and uh, to have good communication about, you know, the last thing you want to do is to get started and then have to stop in the middle of the first inning when the starters have warmed up. Mm-hmm, and those are yeah. the guys who need to get their five, six innings in or 80 to 100 pitches in. Uh, so if you're going to be wrong, uh, you better be wrong late uh, when it comes to, to minor league baseball. 
uh, you know, the, the, the word, the buzzword that gets used is, do we have a window? Uh, which people scoff at now and you roll your eyes when somebody says they got a window, uh, you know, 10 minutes long or something like that. So, uh, you're really worried about not exposing the starting pitcher to not being able to get his work in because then you've started a chain reaction for the next three days for that team to be short pitching, uh, and it's just a, a, a disaster. So once the game starts, it's in the hands of the umpires, uh, and the crew chief and, uh, they, you know, communicate with the managers and, and are monitoring the playing f- surface. Is it getting dangerous? Is it getting slick? Do we need to, uh, can we play through it, but we need to put some application down and, and try to dry out the, the, the dirt a little bit. So once the game starts, the umpires have the final say for calling for the tarp or whether or not we can continue before the game starts. It's our job to monitor that uh, and, and keep the managers in, in, in the discussion uh, to, to make the best decision that we can. Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs is our guest. Randy, uh, last time we were here, Carl Edwards was here, Mike Montgomery was here, Addison Russell was here, uh, now Victor Caratini's here, Ian Happ has been here. You just never know what you're going to see from the, uh, from the big club when you make your way down to Principal Park. Yeah, and you know, they, they've, they've gone through a little cycle here where they've played really good baseball, but, uh, you know, Ben Zobrist has gone on that leave of absence and that'll shake things up when he's, mm-hmm. uh, returned and Pedro Strope has, uh, gone on the, on the injured list. Uh, Xavier Cedeno was here. Uh, with us on rehab, uh, and he got called up when, when Stroke got hurt. So we're going to see some more movement again here soon, uh, expecting that when Victor Caratini is ready to go, Taylor Davis probably comes back uh, even, you know. Too bad. Uh, what a big too bad for him, but yeah. he knows – he knows what his role mm-hmm. is and, and to be ready next time. Um, one of those guys uh, should have something that, that comes up. And uh, when Zobris comes back, it'll be a tough decision because they've got so many guys that are playing well uh, right now, and those are the right kinds of problems to have. Uh, Albert Alzale, who is uh, one of the best prospects in the system, he's now in Des Moines. He's, uh, he had a start to where, Florida over the weekend? He was in Myrtle Beach yesterday. Myrtle Beach. Uh, but he's here now. Um, it, when do you expect to see him on this homestand? I would think he'll pitch, don't you? Yeah, uh, you know he'll get his uh, time off, so you know he'll be inserted somewhere into Weekend? our rotation. Yeah, so you're probably looking Saturday, Friday, or Saturday. Uh, if he pitched yesterday, you got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So Saturday would be his day. So Saturday or Sunday, probably, depending on uh, the, the forecast. Or uh, to be honest, I've lost track, and because we have a doubleheader on Thursday. You know, that's going to create a hole in our rotation, too. That'll be easy to slide him into. So if they want to give him an extra day or uh, something along those lines, I've kind of lost track of where our rotation is. Uh, and it changes every day anyway. So even if I was paying attention, it might not hold up till the end of the week. So, um, yeah, he'll slide in there somewhere this weekend. Uh, when is first pitch for that doubleheader? Because you guys are off tomorrow and back at it Thursday with the double dip against New Orleans. First pitch, uh, first pitch for the first game is when? 438, back-to-back, yep. your, your ticket for Thursday get you both games uh not a split we'll open the gates at 338 uh just an hour before uh since it's a, a you know we've known it for a couple of weeks but an unplanned uh earlier start so folks that had picnics and skyboxes and things get the full duration of the, nice. of the two games to, to be able to get all of that in so we'll uh open up at uh 338 first pitch at 438 and back-to-back seven inning games you know uh yesterday i sent both you and trent a text that i came across an article on yard barker i think is where it was the uh, 22 major league baseball records that'll never be broken in our lifetime and for the most part 
Uh, I, I think that they're pretty accurate, that we won't see any of these. And we were talking before we went on the air today, Randy, when we first got here, 930 or so. And, and you made an excellent point, just how the game has changed. Because some of those records, I mean, these days, they date way, way, way back. Um, game has really changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I think one of the one of the ones that stood out was uh, the pitcher who had 206 consecutive complete games yeah. <laughs> without the need of a, right. a relief pitcher. The union would file the grievance yeah. if he got to 20, uh, let alone 200 and 106. And and I think that's a change in the game for the better. You know, you you were not invested in as a player or a person back in that era of Major League Baseball. If your arm fell off or you. Uh, you know, there was no Tommy John surgery. There was no arthroscopic surgery. If you couldn't throw anymore, your career was over. Um, and and now, next man in. Yeah, uh, you know. So I don't think that you'd even want to do that again necessarily. Right. You know, that that's a fun record to have and it, it has a legacy. But there's no word whether or not he could even comb his hair at the age of 40 <laughs> after throwing all those complete games. Uh, you know, so I think some of those, you know, Cy Young's win total. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, You'd have to be, uh, you know, even Nolan Ryan uh, has a couple in there for career strikeouts and walks. And but walks. you think about the, the the numbers that he amassed in just the years. You know, some of that is just the accumulation of, of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wonder if Nolan Ryan was erratic as he was, you know, if the next Nolan Ryan threw the way he did when he was a rookie, how much of a look would he get uh, anymore? You know, Ozzie Smith is in the Hall of Fame, and I wonder – in this day and age, if there's room for that guy on a major league team because of the premium on offense. And, you know, some of that is right place, right time for those guys in the right generation, and they were great in their own right. But sometimes we go in cycles of what skills we value most um, at a certain point in time, and if you don't line up, you might be stuck. Yeah, it wasn't the wizard for what he did in the batter's box. No. <laughs> no. Even after go crazy, yeah, go crazy. So, Randy, we were talking also earlier about launch angles. We are talking about Tommy Listell already with 10 home runs this year for the Angels. Analytically, it's such a big part, I know, of the top brass with the Cubs. How does that come to you guys and the information that you get up there in the booth? I mean, are you seeing launch angles? Are you seeing speed of outfielders? Do you guys get those stats down here at the AAA level? We're not, um, but they're measuring it. Okay. Uh, there's that black square on the roof next to the windows for the high home camera that's the TrackMan system and that's installed by chicago and and we provide the space but that's proprietary information to them uh and their their scouting and development so we don't uh we we don't use that to share no uh, exit velocity for you so they're they're you know I thought it They're was a measuring speaker, it. Randy. Honest <laughs> to God, I thought it was a speaker. No, and and if you saw the pictures out thrown on the side as they they pulled the tarp, they've got uh, special cameras that are measuring that. spin rate uh, on on pitches, and they're getting all of that information real time. And now they're using it as a development tool that they you know they can look at where's your release point and how did that affect the spin rate? How did that affect the the movement of the pitch? And I think all that's wonderful. Uh, in 20 years of being around minor league baseball in, in this capacity, not every guy's capable of processing all of that information. So you're helping some and hurting others. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's the role of any good coaching staff to know who thrives because they've learned something and, and who you just need to say, see ball, hit ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, you can get, I remember uh, O'Neary Fleeta, the old farm director for the Cubs, when Starlin Castro got called up. Um, him telling us that, you know, at one point Starlin said, "You keep giving me all these scouting reports. I don't. I'm. I'm. All I'm doing is thinking about the scouting report in the batter's uh, box, right. and and I, I've it's hurting. Yeah, him. It, it, yeah. He I, I, he wasn't prepared to process 
all that information. Um, you know, so sometimes guys just need a little bit of room. I, I think the, I was a math major in college. I'm a nerd and a math guy as much as anybody else, but at some point it's a human sport. Uh, and if we could boil down to make them robots, it would be much less interesting. Um, so I, I think the variety of, of skills is interesting. If I was building a team, I'd want five starters who threw the ball five different ways uh, to make it as hard as possible for the other teams. I'd want a sidearm guy and a change-up guy and a sinker-slider guy and a 95-mile-an-hour guy. I'd want all of those different looks because if you just keep running the same guy out, even if they have unbelievable spin rates and all those kinds of things, major league hitters are going to figure it out eventually. Uh, so you know that's the art of the game. Uh, and and there's a place for the science and the art too, and and finding that right balance is what's going to win championships over the next generation. I think. You know, my unbreakable record, or the one that I think is 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 literally out there and will never be reached, uh, is Ricky Henderson's stolen base record. The game has just changed, right? He swiped 130 bags in a year. <laughs> I remember when he broke Lou Brock's record, and then he blew by that by what, just shy of 500. It'll never come close. Nobody will ever get there. Certainly in, in this point in time that you'd be a, a safe bet in our lifetime because the strategy of the game has completely gone away from that. And pitchers have slide steps and variable moves yeah. and, you know, catchers are, are working on pop time and, and release time. And, uh, I don't know that those were things that at least they were never discussed in a broadcast when I was growing up mm-hmm. watching games. Uh, you know, I learned a lot of what I know about baseball from listening to Steve Stone. Uh, Colin Cub game. He just, you know, the things that he passes along about pitch sequences and scouting reports. He's unbelievably uh, smart and and says it in a way that you can get as a nine to twelve year old kid watching Cubs games on WGN in suburban Chicago. I learned a lot just listening to him, and I I never heard any of that stuff uh, in in relation to that. So it's a much harder feat. Uh, and actually, uh, Michael Gartner and I were saying in the in the grandstand talking yesterday that. Of all the things that have changed about the game, the human arm and leg has not developed to the fact that 60 feet 6 inches doesn't matter anymore. It's still the right distance, that if you're good, you get guys out, and if you're not, you get hit. The 90-foot base, you can't outrun 90 feet still after all of these years. If you hit a routine ground ball to shortstop, there's no one fast enough to get that 90 feet before yeah. they can get that ball over there. Uh, you know, so... Uh, you know, un- unless the human body changes, that some guys can, in fact, figure out a way to outrun that 90 feet and and the times, uh, you know. But then you got to figure out a way to steal first. You saying Bolt can't hit? Uh, <laughs> there's part of that too. Yeah. You know, with Ricky Henderson, the one thing, and as first time, what four or five years ago with the pitch clock that was implemented here, we're hearing more and more Major League Baseball getting that in the pace of play. Is another thing is a throw over to first when you got a runner at first. And doing away with that and setting up something where you can lead off but only to this spot and that's it. Maybe that is something that could change the stolen base again where knowing guy's not going to throw over, you just got to have your timing right. Yeah, you know, but I think John Lester is a good example of why you can't, there's nothing guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he throws over to first twice a year and he picks <laughs> one guy off every season. So and the other know, one goes up the, the line. <laughs> you know, and, but you know, he actually has a good uh, percentage w- because Wilson Contreras uh, is his partner, That's and that, the may- difference. that makes a, a huge mm-hmm. difference uh, with that too. Uh, so uh, you know, even with a guy like Lester, who 
you can almost be 99.9% sure that he is not throwing over there. But how many guys have a one-way lead going back to first base and don't want to be the one guy every year that he picks off and that works for him? You know, so there, there's, you know, you can, you know, the game of baseball to me boils down to, to this, is that I can throw 10 pitches in a row right down the middle and probably get three outs. That doesn't mean I want to throw that pitch right down the middle all the time. And I can paint that outside corner and give up a couple of home runs. That doesn't mean I don't want to stay there. There's no absolute outcome, no matter what you do, between the pitcher and the hitter. And that's the excitement and the fun of the game and why it's interesting. And the more consistent you can be on those edges, the better your season will be. You don't luck into six months, but you might luck into a game or even a week and possibly even a month. But more than that, you've got to be really good in order to be good at this game. And, and you know, whether you're a salesman or a husband or a father or anything else, a doctor, you know, you got to be good every day, too. Uh, and that's the part that I like about it. Love talking baseball with you, Randy Wayhofer. So uh, help us out. The uh, You guys are off tomorrow, uh, Thursday night. We know about the doubleheader, 438 for game number one. Fireworks on Friday. Yes. And, and Saturday, then, uh, and then a Sunday, Monday, day baseball. Yeah, so Saturday we're starting at 438 uh, because we're showing Field of Dreams after oh, the game. I saw that. Outstanding. Uh, for the 30th anniversary of, of the release of that movie and, oh, and the, icon- yeah, the iconic nature that represents, especially in the, wow. in the state of Iowa. So we're hoping the four forecast will hold out because we want to let people out into the outfield to sit in blankets or nice. uh, and, and watch the movie after the game. Uh, if, if it's too wet, we'll let people sit in the seats and watch the movie. Sunday, we're going to open up early at 1045. We're going to have a T-ball double headers in both corners with the Parks and Rec organizations from around the metro. What a thrill for these kids. Uh, and that, I, I think Andrew Downs' uh, son is part of the Urbandale team that will be participating, so I know he's excited uh, about that. And then, yeah, we've got a, a noon game next Monday to wrap things up. It's New Orleans. Uh, last ever visit from New Orleans to Principal Park uh, coming up this weekend. So where are they going? They're moving to Wichita. Is that a fact? I didn't huh. know that. So, so New Orleans will be without minor league baseball uh, for the short term. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Randy, thanks for having us down here. We'll be back on Monday. We look forward to being here. Good luck with this home stand. Uh, Thursday doubleheader, uh, movie on Saturday, fireworks on Friday. No excuse not to get down to Principal Park. We got a we got a lot of good things planned, and hopefully the sun will stay out. Indeed, good to see you, pal. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having thanks, me. Randy. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Come back, Zuba Mahente from ESPN joins us. Emery Songer, by the way, producing back in studio. Thank you for that. John Sellers is here live on site. Miller and Condon, we're on Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty. Oh. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, live at Principal Park. First pitch, 12.08, fans starting to belly their way through the turnstiles and into the ballpark, 12.08, first pitch off tomorrow, double dip on Thursday, fireworks Friday, 4.38, first pitch on Saturday with Field of Dreams up on the big screen, 30 years anniversary of Field of Dreams. We'll get to Zuba Mahente, ask him about that as he spent some time here in our fine state. By the way, the link... Uh, I was the former, from back in hour number one, and I never had mm-hmm. a chance really to work this in, uh, was the former Imperial Palace. Love the IP. $3 blackjack back in the day. <laughs> they had the celebrity dealers, like somebody dressed up as Elvis that'd be a dealer. That, I don't think I was ever in the place until it became the link. That is where I saw LeBron hit the shot against Orlando Magic, the buzzer beater okay. in the NBA playoffs yep. to 
what when it was early i think of the eastern conference finals regardless at there at the ip and playing three dollar blackjack what a time to be alive it really is right now too zubin mahente joins us espn sports center zubin trent and ken thanks for coming on you remember field of dreams zubin did you ever make your way east to to see the uh to see the ballpark in the cornfield while you were an iowa resident how are you I'm doing great. That was my one regret. It's the one place we never really got out to. We crisscrossed the state a lot, a lot, uh, because when I was there, you know, the people used to tell me, and I still am kind of like, still surprises me today, but when I was there, it was, you know, 50-50 Iowa, Iowa State, wherever the guys were doing, a barnstorming tour, a talking tour, we would go everywhere. Um, but when I first got there, people were like, you should have been here a few years ago when Nobody even walk around with an Iowa State shirt in Central yeah, Iowa. Right. So it, it, I just couldn't really wrap my head around that, considering how big Iowa State has become. But we would go anywhere. We went as far north as Mason City. We went far southeast as Muscatine and Keokuk. I mean, we were everywhere, but we never got to Dyersville. It's my one regret. I will say to you, though, congratulations on the sports betting. I'm sure you spent the entire show talking about it. <laughs> a lot of it, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, our deal with Caesars Palace today, like, I'm not a big guy. You guys know that. But this thing with Caesars uh, today, we just got a note about it, and uh, about the studio being built, and about all the other things that Caesars is going to kind of basically be our across-the-board platform for all of our gambling information. And all of our research has always told us over the years that avid bettors, I think the statistic we got today in our release was two-thirds of avid sports bettors watch ESPN regularly. So it's a pretty cool idea, pretty cool hub. And with these college conference tournaments and the Raiders and eventually the NFL draft moving next year to Las Vegas, just to have mm-hmm. some sort of place, to, you know, to have some roots to put your boots down there uh, will be pretty cool. So uh, big day in Iowa and a big day for us, too, here. No doubt about it. Zubin, along those lines, how has it changed for you guys as ESPN employees? Because, you know, I've read some stuff that not frowned upon necessarily, not prohibited, but there was a time that, uh, you know, that talking about lines or injecting a point spread into a conversation uh, during SportsCenter uh, was seen, uh, we don't, not sure we want to do that as it may uh, rile up the league. So as you know, weren't real receptive to sports wagering until very recently. How has it changed for you guys at ESPN as to how you talk about sports wagering? Well, I think it's changed in a markedly different way. A lot of times what we would do is when we do a segment, we'll do, let's say, the meat and potatoes of the segment. We'll hear from the interested parties. Let's just call it the Western Conference Finals. We'll hear from Steve Kerr on Kevin Durant's condition. We'll hear from Steph Curry on maybe having Boogie Cousins back. And then when that segment is over, nine times out of ten, we used to just do something about the historical content of the Blazers and the Warriors or what the Warriors are trying to do going to five straight finals. More and more now what we're doing is that last element, after we do the meat and potatoes and deliver the news, the last element is, and the Warriors are minus 500, or the Blazers are plus 350. And we tend to do that across the board now for a lot of different sports. And obviously it's, the differences are a little bit stark when the Detroit Pistons who haven't won a playoff game in 11 years are playing in Milwaukee Bucks. There's only so much you can do with the number there. But we're finding that a lot of times when we call it in the television business and you in the radio business, when we're putting a bow, when we're wrapping up a segment, when we're trying to figure out the best way to bring a crescendo to something before moving on to something else, if that component is gambling, if there is something there to talk about between two teams that haven't started the series or what the odds are on betting on a team that's down 3-0, which nobody's ever rallied from in the NBA playoffs, 
instead of going for a historical nugget like it's only been done a handful of times in the NHL or never done in the NBA, we might go with what kind of odds could you get for this team to rally. And so that's something that I've noticed in the market way. Now, you guys are obviously avid gambling people, but for somebody like myself, I think I identify myself with most of our audience, which is I'm interested in gambling, but I'd certainly like to know more. Um, and from that standpoint, we're taking it a little bit slow. Uh, I, would, I would make it akin, Ken, to when we started bringing in PER in the NBA or war in the Major League Baseball, we would never just say war. We would say wins above replacement, one sentence description on what this means. PER, player efficiency rating, it's actually based over 48 minutes. The NBA game, of course, is 48 minutes, and we would do that. Just like when we rolled out QBR several years ago, instead of quarterback rating, we say QBR is, QBR is 92. That's on a scale of 0 to 100. It's just easier to contextualize. So I think for me, you know, I'm not uh, like Doug Kazarian, our host of our Daily Wager show, or Stanford Steve, or Chris Felica, the Bear. These guys have been involved in gambling for, for decades. I'm like most of our audience is still trying to get into it. But I think you'll notice that as we wrap up segments and try to figure out the best way to sort of encapsulate what we're talking about, the last thing always used to be more historical, and now it's more gambling. It's pretty evident if you watch. Zubin, uh, into the games, well, before the game, tonight ESPN will have the NBA draft lottery. There is something about this for me. Maybe it's 1985, Patrick Ewing, and the rumors and the speculation the people with the tinfoil hats that there was the frozen envelope, and that's how the Knicks got <laughs> right. Patrick Ewing. The ping pong balls go in the way of the Magic right after a year after they get Shaq. It looked like they were going to get Chris Webber the year after. You know, all the different influences for something that isn't an actual game. This is one of the bigger mm-hmm. non-games events on the sports calendar, at least for me. How do you think about tonight? Oh, I think it's a huge franchise-altering moment for anybody. I mean, obviously, think about what the Knicks could do if they could get this and pair Zion yeah. with a pair of free agents. Think about if the Phoenix Suns have made the playoffs since 2010. Phoenix Suns have one of the most proud fan bases in the NBA. Over the course of time, they've been one of the more successful teams in the history of the Western Conference. You wouldn't know it now from what has happened, but just the ping-pong balls falling in their favor would completely revitalize the entire organization. They wouldn't even obviously make the pick tonight, but it would completely turn the value of the franchise. Think about the impact of that. If you were to go to Dallas and you could pair him with Luca and Kristaps Porzingis, provided mm. the latter can get on the court and get rid of his uh, you know, legal problems. Or maybe in Atlanta with Trey Young. That's another NBA city that has mm. waiting and just waiting for something to take off. So that could be interesting, too. The Lakers have a 2% chance of getting Zion Williamson. But remember, mm. the year the... Uh, the Cavs got Kyrie Irving. They had a minuscule chance to get him. So there's always an opportunity for that. The one thing I do like the league has done is this is the first year where there is a new lottery. Last year and all the years prior, the team that had the worst record, like the Sixers, when they were trying to tank every year, and some of it worked for Embiid and Simmons. Some of it didn't work, like Netherlands Noel. It just happened. you got to figure out what you want to do. The Cavs got Kyrie. They also drafted Anthony Bennett first overall. So mm. you have to kind of figure out how that works. But keep this in mind. Last year, the team with the worst record got a 25% chance to get the number one pick. Not great by any means. In other words, 75% chance to not get the number one pick. But 25% was given to the absolute worst team in the league. They, uh, Adam Silver was very concerned about tanking and teams trying to actually do that and feel like 25% was a good percentage. So starting this year, what they have done is they have made sure that worst three teams in the league have an equal 14% chance so let's just call it grab Zion Williamson because I think that's pretty obvious 
at yep. this point. So at this time last year, the worst team had a 25% chance. Everybody else fell below. Silver said, I don't want people tanking. This wasn't a Zion issue. Of course, this rule was made before anybody knew what Zion was certainly going to turn into. He just hated the idea of tanking and hurting the integrity of the sport he oversees. So the top three teams, quote-unquote, or the bottom three, if you look at it this way, each have an equal 14% chance to get it to try to dissuade some level of tanking towards the end. That still means you have an 86% chance not to get the first overall pick. It's 8.30 tonight. Then it leads into the Blazers and Warriors. And then you got the Bucks tomorrow with the Raptors. So it should be a pretty good 24 hours of basketball starting tonight. And it's been terrific over the weekend, Zubin. Zubin Mahente from ESPN, Miller & Condon. We're live at Principal Park on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 Kicks. You know, that's the sun, by the way. Trent, that has peeked its head through the clouds. And <laughs> Love it. Going to play baseball here at 1208. Zubin, uh, you know, along those lines, you, you mentioned the uh, the game tonight and obviously the Eastern Conference beginning tomorrow. What do you th- I've heard a lot of already, you know, naysay that it's going to be the least watched championship or uh, a round of basketball maybe in history. Of course, Toronto doesn't register because they're not a United States market. Milwaukee, small market. Portland, small market. Sure, Golden State's got, you know, the uh, uh, everybody knows these guys. They know Curry. They know Durant. They know Steve Kerr and the champions, etc. So we know their story. But do you think that the, the fear... Uh, that this series isn't going to, that these series aren't going to go over well is legitimate, as a legitimate concern. It's tough because I think if you give people compelling basketball, you could put up Game of Thrones TV phenomenon. And I said this on the air Sunday night on Sports Center. I said, for the first time, Game of Thrones is overtaken by another game on a Sunday, Game 7 in Toronto. And mm. on the surface, you know, you're talking about it, like you said, Toronto's not measured as a TV market for our ratings. But if you give somebody the opportunity, to watch a shot like that or put a game into a situation where you've got your first seven game seven buzzer beater in NBA history. People will gravitate because of social media, even if they're not watching at the moment. They feel like they need to go there, they'll get there, and they'll watch Kawhi hit the rim and drop four times. So I'm not so concerned about that because I do think in each of these teams you've got a good story. Now, it's incumbent upon us to tell the story. The Warriors story has been just told so many times. It's sort of like telling Tom Brady in the past, you know, every January, February, every sports fan is well acquainted with it. The Bucks, we have to let people know there's other people on the team other than Giannis. I think the bounce for Toronto is going to give them some momentum with a lot of fans that are casual fans and tuning in now. And I think the most interesting team of all, to be honest with you, is the Blazers. You know, for a lot of casual NBA fans, they may not realize how great of a fan base Portland has. Everybody talks about OKC's fans how they stand at the beginning of games, and the Golden State fans have been raucous throughout this run. But Portland has a love affair with the Blazers that goes back to the 70s and the late Dr. Jack Ramsey and Bill Walton, and they have a true love affair with that city. They have a couple of really interesting players that we have to make sure that we identify for casual fans. You know, Damian Lillard wears the zero, but it's not really well known, and we're kind of work on this story this week if we have an opportunity, or maybe between games two and three. The reason he wears zero, it's actually an O, and it shapes the three places in his life that have molded him the most. Oakland, where he grew up, Oakland High School Wildcats. Ogden, Utah, another O, where Weber State, where he played for the Weber State Wildcats, and obviously O for the state of Oregon. And so he's got a love affair with those three places. Let people know about Damian Lillard more than just a 37-foot shot. And his cancer is a practicing Muslim, and we're in Ramadan. He's not eating, drinking, he's fasting. And also, with Ramadan, he's not taking any medication. And he's got a sore right shoulder. 
Um, Kim Olajuwon famously went through Ramadan during the NBA Finals a little more than 25 years ago. So you have to kind of humanize these sort of teams that don't have the regular season hype of Golden State. And if you do, and you have compelling basketball, most of all, as Philly and Toronto showed us on, on Sunday evening, I think you can get fans to the TV. Zubin, I got a, a little bit of a different question here for you. We have a change in our sports calendar this season. The PGA Championships are upon us. Beth Plage Black, and with the NBA and NHL playoffs going on, you got baseball in full swing. Number two of the Triple Crown, second race coming up. It's away from August, away from the football season, but there's a lot going on at this time. PGA, is it? it's never always been the fourth major, but is even losing luster moving away from August here to May? I think it's actually a great decision for a couple different reasons. Now, one, obviously, Tiger winning the Masters has given yeah. this event a little bit more oomph if somebody else won it. Let's say it was, you know, Brooks Kepka defending his title or Justin Thomas, who was just pulled out the 2017 PGA champion. I think it wouldn't resonate the way that it does. But the Tiger bounce is there. It's real. Golf ridden for a long time. Then they weren't able to ride it. Now they're riding it again. So I think this is just a little bit of an ex- extraneous factor here, Trent. Yes, in a bubble, I would think it's interesting. But obviously, when you put the parameters around it, it's certainly going to get its fair share of attention. Tigers had a lot of success at Beth Page Black. A couple of other things to keep in mind. If you're a golf fan, it's terrific because you've got the Masters in April now, the PGA in May, and the U.S. Open in June. It gives golf a lot of traction. Three months, three majors, and that's not something we rarely got when the majors were previously spaced out the other way. And the point you make should not be overstated, Trent. The reason... They moved it, obviously, partially it was due to the NFL. But keep in mind, they're trying to get the FedEx Cup playoffs with a $10 million bonus. They're trying to get that done before football. Mm, they're trying to get NASCAR done before football. Yeah, they had to reorganize the FedEx Cup playoffs and rules so people could understand it and follow it, truncate it, and move it before football. NASCAR has updated their race for the chase a couple of different times, mostly to reinvigorate the interest, but also to make sure it ends at a time where it isn't overshadowed by football. So while that's sort of a trite concern, and I completely agree with you, putting it on the calendar certainly does give the golf fan a great appetite for three months. But every sport has seen what happens when you go up against the NFL, and when you're handing out $10 million, it's the crescendo of your event, it's your playoffs, and every other sport, the playoffs uh, overshadow the regular season. And I think in some ways, golf would like to have a very strong finish. Golf, as you know, has a wraparound PGA Tour schedule. So honestly, just keeps on playing. They'll play in Las Vegas in October and nobody <laughs> will watch that. But I do think it's totally 100% valid to get it done before football because if you're going to give me a $10 million person, now say Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy could be involved in this thing, you've got to make sure it gets the maximum exposure. And as big and Tiger as Rory are, if those two are somehow paired up against the Bears and the Packers on a Thursday or Sunday, advantage NFL. Even though Tiger is obviously... Uh, come back with a vengeance, I would still think they'd want to get it done and make sure they could grab the lion's share of uh, Bengals-Jacksonville, advantage <laughs> NFL. Uh, it, it wins every time. No doubt. Hey, Zubin, last thing for you. We'll let you go on this. John Beeline uh, leaving college basketball for the NBA. I don't like it, Zubin. I don't. I think college basketball, look, it's, it's going to be fine. College basketball will survive. They always do. But uh, they're not better today with John Beeline in the NBA, in my opinion. Did that move surprise you? It did. I mean, I said on SportsCenter last night, I didn't, I didn't want to be too trite about this. This contract, again, proves the only person on earth that can't get a five-year contract is Ty Luke. I mean, everybody gets a five-year contract. Beeline gets a five-year contract. Walton gets a five-year contract. Bonte Williams gets a five-year contract. 
The only guy that can't get one is Ty Lue, but and Vogel, I guess. And Vogel, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's a mess, right? But I think one of the big things here is, I don't think he'll ever admit it, but I think most people in and around the college basketball world, I think CBS did a poll about this a couple years ago. They asked who's running a clean program, and obviously this is before the trial and everything that's Mm -hmm. happened. I also think it's notable that the two trials have happened and most of the public doesn't even care. So I think while this is a sports media issue, fans don't care. They just want to win. But I think D-Line won that poll in terms of who is doing it right. Who is playing within the margins? You know, Tony Bennett was there. A couple of other guys were there. Uh, But John is at the top of that list. And he won't admit it. But I think the two trials here and watching what happened to Sean Miller and watching what's happened to Will Wade, essentially getting a slap on the wrist, if that, keeping their jobs. um, For a guy that does it the right way, for a guy that's 66, for a guy that's never been an assistant, for a guy that was a high school coach, a college coach, a junior college coach, a D3 coach, a D2 coach, a D1 coach, it only seems right that the crescendo and the completion of his career would get to the highest levels of basketball. So for him, it's a great personal accomplishment. But I do think with everything that's happened in the last couple of trials, paired with the fact that this guy does it the right way, and at the age of 66, it's not swinging back the other way. These two trials have essentially proved cheating is only measured in terms of getting caught, and even then it's not even measured. And I think for a guy that does it the right way, I'm not saying he's an angel, but for the guy who does it the right way, to see the way the sport is trending, I just don't feel like he looks like he belongs in it. He wants to do it one way. The sport is tacitly admitting you could do it another way, and I don't think he wants any part of it. He's 71 when the contract will be over. Will he make it to the end? I don't know, but he's also an offensive genius. In the last couple of years, Michigan's become good defensively excellent with a couple of additions to their staff, but he's an offensive coach, and right now, you guys mentioned what a time to be alive at the top of your segment. What a time to be alive to be an offensive genius in the NBA. The league is completely offensive-driven. Get a couple stops at the end of the game, and let's hope we can pray and win this game. And he's obviously got some offensive acumen. So I think it gets him out of the college game, where I think he was a little bit disgusted with what was going on. And he allows him to use his offensive acumen at the highest levels of basketball. And at 66, it's probably a now or never move. You and I see that exactly the same way. Zubin Mahente, ESPN. Zubin, thank you as always. Look forward to talking to you next week. Great segment today, Zubin. Thank you. You got it, guys. Enjoy the game. Yep, good to talk to you. Zubamante. We are Miller and Condon. We're live at Des Moines Sports Station. Well, we're not. We're at Principal Park. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's dot I's and cross T's on the Iowa Wild as their season came to an end. When we come back, our final segment, it's a short one. Wild go down last night in Chicago as they fall in six games. Season is over, but what a season it was. Uh, Trent and I will be back here at Principal Park. We're Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 60 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. A couple of minutes left. In a couple of hours, more local programming coming your way. Murph and Andy at 2, the Fanatics at 4. Uh, thank you to Emery Songer for uh, helping us out. Uh, he was in studio downtown Des Moines, 2141 Grand at the KXNO Studios. And, of course, John Sellers with us here on site at Principal Park, where they're playing baseball. First pitch is 1208. 
Uh, fans starting to uh, take up some seats here, Trent Condon. Looks like they'll have a decent day crowd. Uh, if you work downtown and want to get away to something different over the lunch hour, uh, playing baseball down here today. Next day game during the week is next Monday uh, as they will wrap up the homestand. Speaking of wrapping things up, the Iowa Wild season wrapped up last night. Didn't go their way, losing in six games to the best team in the division mm-hmm. all season long, the Chicago Wolves. But an historic season for the Iowa Wild. What do you think that did for hockey in Des Moines, this playoff run that they were on? You know, it, it feels like there was a pretty significant bump. And the Wild, when they came in, and that organization brought hockey back at, at the AAA level, if you will, with the AHL, you could tell from the beginning that they were going to work hard to it make was this going to be different, wasn't yeah, it? a community event, and they were going to try to build. And I think they've done a very nice job of that. But there's only a certain certain number you can hit when you're not winning. Right. You you have to also deliver that winner. For the first time, they delivered that winner from the end of the regular season to the playoff run that they were on. I think that just continued to build up this fan base even more and and get excitement generated. And when we get to October. People will be excited again for the Iowa Wild. Something so. w- without that, without the winning, without the playoff berth, I just don't know if you can you can build that way. And this is something that was necessary, kind of take that next step, if you will. Yeah, playoff hockey. The uh, I mean, the, I'm sure the people in the air. Well, I heard about playoff hockey. They never experienced mm-hmm. it. It's a different animal, really, as well. Congratulations to them on the fine season that came to an end last night. All right, uh, we are Principal Park, 12:08 first pitch off tomorrow. Doubleheader on Thursday. 438 first pitch fireworks on Friday. Murph and Andy at 2, the Fanatics at 4, and the morning rush will start it anew again on Wednesday at 6. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.